Today we are joined by Rafik Khabed. She's the debut author of the must-have children's book, Baba, What Does My Name Mean? To explain the connection between her name and her homeland, her dad takes her on this magical journey to Palestine. And beforehand, he tells her, your name means somebody who's persistent and somebody who perseveres. And we named you this because you're a Palestinian. They can see themselves and their history and how rich it is. We're a 4,000 year old culture. We existed before Zionism and we will continue to exist after Zionism. The censorship that your book has faced at the Free Library. Can you tell us what the librarian did? Posted some anti-racist Palestine content, which the library censored after they received complaints from the Zionist Organization of America, Philadelphia chapter. Imagine having a multi-billion dollar budget and being scared of a children's book. This the Palestine part. Palestine part. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of spreading awareness about the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and Mikey Intifada, if you were against the book bans in Nazi Germany, but banning books in the United States is called activism to you. Yes, that is the, the topic du jour, Michael, book bans and censorship, and we will get into that in just a moment. But before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at the palestinepod. And if you want to support the Palestine Pod, feel free to join our Patreon, where we will be releasing every week additional exclusive content, casual conversation between Michael and I about anything and everything, funny outtakes, and you might even see my dog. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> so today we are joined by Rafik Khabed. She's the debut author of the must-have children's book, Baba, what does my name mean? She was born and raised in the United States, but is originally Palestinian, hailing from the beautiful cities of Al-Khalil, Hebron, and Al-Quds, Jerusalem. Rafik has been a lifelong lover of all things related to Palestine, and first began her advocacy work with an impassioned letter to the editor in seventh grade. Her happiest memories were the summers she spent in Jerusalem with her very big Palestinian family, exploring the land and soaking in every bit of its rich history. She lives in Florida with her husband, family, and three children who were all named after beloved cities in Palestine. Rafik has a JD from George Mason University and a master's in human rights studies from Columbia University, as well as a master's in speech language pathology from the University of Northern Colorado. She's worked extensively in the field of human rights and media advocacy with various human rights organizations in the US, Jerusalem, and the UAE. Rafik, welcome to the Palestine Pod. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You got a developing story, so we had to get on it quick. <laughs> yes. That's what we do. It is, and it's just getting better and better each time, each day. So, Rifik, why don't you start by just telling us about your book? Baba, what does my name mean? Why did you write it? What is this book about? Yes. So here's my book <laughs> for our YouTube viewers. So this book is about a young Palestinian refugee who's essentially living in the West. It's more towards a Western audience. And she's asked at school what her name means. And she knows that she's Arab. She knows she's Palestinian, but she doesn't really know why she was named Samida. Her name is Samida. And so when she goes home, she asks her dad, Baba, what does my name mean? And so in order to explain the connection between her name and her homeland, her dad kind of takes her on this magical journey to Palestine. And beforehand, he tells her, you know, your name means somebody who's persistent and somebody who perseveres. And we named you this because you're a Palestinian. And so she has to kind of figure that out by seeing Palestine and seeing what it is about Palestine that she has to be steadfast for. And so what I wanted to do is have children learn about the country and learn about their culture 
so that they can plant this seed of love for their homeland and their hearts, and then eventually grow to be advocates for Palestine. Because I found that not everybody knows why they're advocating for Palestine. We know we're Palestinian, we all go to the protests, but we don't really know about the land and about the culture and about the cities and our history before Zionism. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do through this book. So it's like a guidebook. And then it also towards the end is like a message of hope so that kids know that they can be hopeful that things will get better and that they themselves can take action to make things get better. And the main thing that I promote is education, 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 and that's educating ourselves, but also educating others with the knowledge that we learn. One of the things I love about the book is that you're teaching children of the diaspora, children who were born to refugee parents whose grandparents survived the Nakba or didn't, grandparents lost their homes in the Nakba, or who were displaced thereafter, about the cities of Palestine. So your main character goes on this journey, visiting different Palestinian cities, and she finds out that, you know, for example, in Gaza, they are known for carpet making, and in Nablus, you can try delicious aknafa, and in Jerusalem, you know, there's the special kakel uds that you can eat, and, you know, Ariha, for example, Jericho is a flat land, and you start giving descriptors to what Palestine is like, what it's known for, what its cities are like, you know, what our agricultural products are like. You know, you talk about in Yaffa, there's oranges and they're so delicious. And I think it's a really special way to teach young children who are descendants of refugees, who are refugees themselves, about their homeland, about what it's known for. Why is it so special? What they would be experiencing if they were there. I feel like our first exposure to Palestine as kids is always the political and I grew up with books that were only for adults, really. I mean, they were not children's books and they were very dense. And so I really liked it, but not all kids are going to be interested in that type of book. And so I wanted kids to be exposed to something beyond the politics because eventually they will be exposed to the politics. And this way, I feel like they can see themselves and their history and how rich it is, you know, like we're a 4,000 year old culture. We existed before Zionism and we will continue to exist after Zionism. And this is just one small part of our history. So I want through the book for kids to see that we exist beyond that and we will continue to thrive in spite of it. But, but you also don't shy away from the politics either. But I, what I think is really brilliant about it is that you do it in such an age-appropriate way. Um, the, the book makes reference to the right of return of refugees, which is our internationally recognized right to return to our homes in Palestine, which we have been consistently denied the possibility to do so by the Zionist Project. Your book also makes reference to the symbol of the right of return, the, the key right, the key of the refugee to their former homes in Palestine from which they were expelled. And your book ends with, and I don't, I don't know if it's too much of a spoiler, we can cut it if it is, <laughs> but your book ends with the question of the girl to her father, Baba, why am I a refugee? And he said, oh, that's a story for maybe tomorrow. And so even though the book is really focused on the cultural elements, the historical elements, the elements that really expose a young child uh, who's Palestinian in the West or elsewhere in the diaspora to his country, his or her country, it also manages to introduce, and in, I think a very elegant way, this, this, this notion of, okay, there is politics that we can't shy away from. Your, your mere existence is political, and we will get into that in just a little bit once we take a look at the censorship that your book has faced and some of the justifications for the censorship, which will make it immediately very clear to us that being Palestinian is a political act in and of itself. It is viewed that way because our existence is a threat to the Zionist project. Our existence is a threat to the Zionist narrative, which they are trying to pass on as fact, but which is unfortunately all fiction and our existence proves that it's a fiction, right? 
So we'll get into that in just a bit. Just a point on the issue of refugees is I, I did do that intentionally. So I'm so happy you noticed it because I feel like it gets left out of the conversation so often. And it's just, it's the issue. Like it's what caused this whole problem is that we were expelled and dispossessed from our land. So that's, that was very intentional to be put in the book to keep reminding people that there is a refugee crisis still 70 years later and that we shouldn't forget it. And we should keep fighting to help the refugees gain their right of return. Yeah. Imagine having a multi-billion dollar budget and being scared of a children's book. (laughs) That just shows you how fragile their narrative is, right? Where it's like literally anything that challenges it is deemed a threat. And they saw it as such a threat that they were like, we got to take action. It's also not the first time that this has happened, right? So when I was doing the research and preparation for this episode, I noticed that the author of P for Palestine had commented on your post, Rific, and she had said that her book faced an incredible amount of censorship since its publication, and it can barely be found anywhere now, and that this has really affected her and her health even. Mm-hmm. So that's a children's book also. That's an alphabet book, if I'm not mistaken. And this is all the work of the Zionist lobby working to censor the story of a Palestinian's mere existence. They harp on like one word, and they'll say the entire book is is anti- Jewish and anti-Semitic and they'll take one picture and say, oh, how dare you put that picture in there? So it's, they're really grabbing for something that's just not there. But also what's the word, right? The word is Palestine. Well, in her book, I think it was Intifada. Oh, okay. In her book. Yeah. And it's described as a rising up and, you know, it is what it is. It's a historical event that occurred. So it's not something completely absurd to talk about. Absolutely. Not only is it a historical event, but it's also our right to resist. It's our right to resist. And we say it almost on every single episode because it needs to be said on every single episode, because anytime we talk about this in public, it's always under the assumption that resistance is criminal. And that we're being bad by resisting. And it's so we're working really hard to correct that narrative, which is so pervasive in the public discourse. And I think it's very pervasive, even within Palestinian circles and within Palestinian kids growing up, we get very defensive. We don't know what to say because the competing narrative is so strong and you kind of get in a bind, like you don't know how to respond. And that's another reason why I feel like we should teach our kids from when they're very young, so that when they get in those situations, they're very confident and they know exactly what they need to say. Absolutely. If you watch episodes one through 24, and now 25 of the Palestine pod, you will have absolutely no problem combating pretty much any Zionist talking point. They're not working off of very much. They're just very loud. And so it scares people. But when you when you break it down, and we're going to break down, for example, in just a moment, what the library's response was to their censorship of your book. And, and, and you'll see that it's almost so easy to rebut. So why don't you, Rifik, take us back to the events of this last week and tell us about the censorship that your book has faced at the Free Library of Philadelphia. So so my book has been out for like a year and a half now, and it's pretty much gone under the radar of Zionists, which I'm thankful for because it meant it was it reached the intended audience, which was Palestinians and Palestinian children and people who are seeking out an indigenous narrative of Palestine. But I'm self-published, so I'm my own marketer. So occasionally I will do a Google search to see if anyone's talking about the book. And last week I did that Google search and I came across a few articles with a lot of anti-Palestinian rhetoric and my book was involved in those articles and they had screenshotted some posts from my Instagram account and 
when I first saw it, I kind of laughed and I was like, oh my God, finally, they got a hold of it. (laughs) And I remember I told my husband, I was like, look, they finally found out. And what I learned from college is, you know, when Zionists find out about your activities, that's a good thing because they do all the marketing for you and they get more people to hear your story, right? Yep. So I was happy at first. And then the more I read, um, I started to get concerned for the librarian because I don't know the librarian's familiarity with the topic. Do they know that they're going to get attacked for taking on this subject? So the next day I managed to get a hold of her and I said, hey, I just read these articles. What's going on? Is everything okay? And she kind of gave me a breakdown of what had been happening. And she has received a ton of harassment and even a death threat. Can you tell us what the librarian did exactly? She posted some anti-racist Palestine content, which the library censored after they received complaints from the Zionist Organization of America, Philadelphia chapter, between reports in the press and the public statement that the library released. We know that the administration took action by only meeting with local Jewish groups in Philadelphia, including the Zionist organization. And at the same time, they fully censored all staff voices by removing access to an internal forum that was used for cross-organization discussion. And they failed to engage in restorative dialogue at all with the harm staff members. And then in their public statements, the library administration has shown that they co-signed this idea that anti-Zionism or pro-Palestine speech is somehow anti-Semitic. And at the same time, they try and cling to this notion that they represent all marginalized voices. Staff report that while the administration has claimed that they updated guidelines on content development, no actual information has been shared with the staff members who create said content. And it has been publicly shared that these actions by the library admin are in line with a pattern of abusive power, institutionalized racism, and direct harm to black and brown employees. And this is the Freedom Library, right? The Free Library. The, the Freedom Freedom Library. Or is it free? It's just just it's free. free. Free Library. Ah, uh, it's the Free Library. Got you. Because I was gonna say, if it was the Freedom Library, <laughs> they're focusing far more on dumb than free. <laughs> <laughs> oh so, my god! So basically, this librarian. It was back in May when you know things were very bad in Palestine, mm-hmm. and this librarian created content on their so their branches social media page that spotlighted and highlighted Palestinian voices and one of them was a discussion of my book in addition to a book reading from Naomi Shihab Nye so her video with Naomi Shihab Nye's book was also removed and censored so it's it's bigger than my book it's the fact that they are censoring voices of Palestinians at a time where those voices need to be spotlighted. And I've seen a lot of people say, well, oh, your book is still in the library. Why are you so upset? And that's not the point. The point is something was made visible on social media where more people have access to this than a book in the library that you have to go and seek out yourself. So this was made visible. And because somebody disagreed with it, the library went and removed it. And that's where the problem is. That's the censorship. Yes. And the messaging was within the context of anti-racism, which is particularly alarming for the Zionists, because how dare you, you know, connect fighting for Palestinian rights Mm -hmm. with an anti-racist goal, right? Because then that makes it sound like it's the right side to be on, right? And so that's that immediately makes it, you know, cause mm-hmm. for, for, for target. So I want to get into what the library said in response to the removal of the blog post. And I think this is really critical because anyone who reads this needs to know how to be able to respond to rhetoric like this. Because the rhetoric that's used in this statement 
is very common Zionist rhetoric that is copy-pasted all over the world and is propagated as fact when it is total fiction. And its only intent is to further the Zionist narrative and to erase any sign of Palestinians, Palestinian history, Palestinian civilization, Palestine, all of it, so that the Zionist state can continue to advance its settler colonial project, and so that Palestinians can continue to lose their land in what is now, you know, over seven decades of us resisting the loss of our land. Okay, so let's get into what the library said. So I'm, I'm reading from the excerpt that you posted on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to go line by line, and we're just going to see what hidden and expressed messages the library is trying to make to justify its censorship of your book and other materials related to Palestine. The Free Library recently received concerns over a blog post on freelibrary.org alongside three storytime videos on one of our branch's social media pages featuring books about the Palestinian people. Let's stop right there. The first sentence is that they received concerns about content related to the Palestinian people. So basically, like, no, not the Palestinian people, anything but the Palestinian people. It's basically like we're like the boogeyman and like we everyone should just be afraid of the Palestinian people because, you know, they receive concerns. Can you imagine? We recently received concerns about content related to the Dutch people. Can you imagine? Replace it with any other people. And it sounds absolutely absurd. OK, the Zionists are like, how can we portray them as terrorists if they're humanized? I mean, okay. So I also okay. felt that was intentional so that they don't have to say that we actually belong to a country and a land. Yes, also. So there's that element as well. But then there's also this element of criminalizing the act of being Palestinian. Like, oh my God, we're so concerned that there's just content circulating about the Palestinian people. Okay, let's read the next sentence. We took immediate action. Immediate action against what? Against content about the Palestinian people, because that's a crime, right? So this is already just injected with so much racism towards Palestinians. And I haven't even read more than a sentence in. We took immediate action in reviewing the content in question, removing two story times that used language that the Free Library did not endorse and which was inconsistent with our values. Okay. So that language that the story time used, you, you told us, Rafik, was connecting the Palestinian struggle to an anti-racist struggle and making connections between Palestinian solidarity work and Black Lives Matter and also the, the struggle for Black liberation. So the library is now saying that this content is not endorsed by them and that it's inconsistent with their values. Well, I think this is a problem because, first of all, if you're going to say that this language is inconsistent with your values, it doesn't really matter if it's consistent with your values. What matters is, is it true or not? And what, what does Black Lives Matter have to say about the Palestinian struggle? What do Black liberation activists and academics and leaders have to say about the struggle for Palestinian rights? That's the only thing that matters. Is it true or is it not true? I don't care what your personal opinion about this issue is as a library or as a board or whoever is writing the statement, right? That's not what's at issue here. It also begs the question, like, what are your values? Yes. Who makes those guidelines? Are you required are you allowed to remove uh, content that doesn't align with your individual values? Like, does, did the library list out their values as a library? They didn't stop their librarian from posting it originally, and it had been out for two months. Correct. Let's go on. They say, we have strengthened our content guidelines. Wait a second. So first of all, you didn't even tell us what content was problematic to begin with so that you could then tell us why you needed to strengthen your content guidelines. And also, how did you strengthen your content, content guidelines? W what are the new rules? They don't say. So apparently now there's new rules in force that would somehow have prevented this content from being published in the first place. But we don't know what those new rules are. And we also don't really know why this is inconsistent with their values because we don't know what their values are. Okay, let's keep going. 
And they didn't share it with their staff members. So even the staff members don't know what these new guidelines are. Brilliant. Not, not only do the people not know, but the staff don't know. Nobody knows what the new guidelines are, but, they, but they're there. We just don't know what they are. Okay. Hey, just, just free library things. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Going on. They say, we met with local Jewish organizations and shared remedial measures to mitigate future occurrence. Here we go. Conflation of Zionism with Judaism. You met with the Zionist Organization of America. That's not a Jewish organization. That's a Zionist organization. And what they're doing here is very simply trying to equate anything related to Palestine with anti-Semitism and anything related to Zionism with Judaism. And as we have always said on the Palestine pod, that is a false premise. Connecting Judaism to Zionism is in and of itself anti-Semitism. Yeah. So it's super interesting (laughs) that they said they met with Jewish organizations. I wonder if they met with any anti-Zionist Jewish organizations or if they themselves are perpetual the anti-Semitic theory that all Jews must support Israel. Isn't it weird how we judo flipped it on them? They're anti-Semitic, actually. Yes, they are. Because what they're telling you is that in order to be Jewish, you necessarily support Zionism. And that if you're a Zionist, well, you're necessarily Jewish. And so what they're doing is they're erasing anti-Zionist Jews. And they're also ignoring the fact that many Zionists are not Jewish at all, right? So there's a lot of conflation. A lot of Zionists don't even believe in God, but they'll tell you God gave them the land. You know what I mean? And a lot of Zionists are evangelicals who are just waiting for the rapture. Exactly. So there there was many hundreds of years of anti-Zionist Jewish history before Zionism that they're totally erasing as well. Jews did not fuck with Zionists for the longest time. And it's about time we stop fucking with them, honestly. When they say we met with local Jewish organizations, the question is, well, how is this relevant? Why is talking about the racism that Palestinians experience at the hands of the Israeli state a problem for Jewish people generally? That's a big question mark for me. It doesn't make any sense. If people are being oppressed by the state because of the group of people that they belong to, the fact that they have been on that land for centuries and centuries and centuries, the fact that they are indigenous to the land, the fact that they work the land, that the state is seeking to replace them with settlers coming from all over the world on their land that that that, that seeks to take their homes and that is doing so continuously without fail. That is something that we should be able to talk about. And we should be able to talk about it from the framework of racism, because it is racist. Because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of laws in Israel that basically tell you that if you're a Jew, you get X, Y, and Z. And if you're not, if you're if you're a Palestinian, well, then you don't have any of these rights. We've talked about them on, on the Palestine Pied over and over and over again, right? So There is a question of racism here that we should be allowed to talk about because it's factual. It's on the books. It's literally how Israel defines itself. Israel defines itself as a state for Jewish people only. But the people who live on the land that Israel claims for itself are not only Jews. So obviously there's a question of racism here, right? There's people that all over the world call themselves Palestinians because at some point they were in the land of Palestine and then their connection, their physical connection to the land of Palestine was broken because they were expelled, they were made refugees, whether in 48, earlier or later. Those people, they speak the same dialect, they eat the same food, they have the same culture, they have the same stories, they have the same same references and they were all there in that land and now they're not and they can't go back. And the people that remain on that land that are Palestinian are subject to horrific measures by the state that was set up on their land because they are not Jewish. So obviously there's a question of racism here. We should be able to talk about that. So for me, when they say, well, we met with Jewish organizations to remedy this horrific act that, 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 that there's content about Palestinians being published, why is that relevant? What you're basically saying is that all Jews are responsible for the acts of Israel. That in and of itself is anti-Semitism. 
you're basically saying that you don't care that there's anti-Zionist Jews. You're going to decide for them. They, they're Israel supporters, whether they like it or not. That in and of itself is anti-Semitism, because what you're saying is this beautiful religion that has existed for thousands of years is equivalent to war crimes, crimes against humanity, drones, bombing Gaza, putting Gaza on a calorie-restricted diet, stealing land, building settlements, keeping thousands of Palestinians prisoners for exercising their international right to resist colonization of their land. You're saying that all of that is part of Judaism. That's a problem. So when they say we met with Jewish organizations, ah, that, that, should, that should make you feel a little queasy, right? Expect a retraction and an apology from the free library for engaging in actual anti-Semitism by conflating Judaism and Zionism in a public statement. That's disgusting. And doing so as a means to censor someone who is talking about their own history and their own culture. It could not ring further from the truth of Judaism. And this leads us right into the next sentence in the statement of the Free Library, which is the Free Library will always be a safe space for programs, dialogues, and books that lift up all voices, including those that have been historically marginalized. Well, that's just false. That's just false. That's just a lie because you did the opposite. Except of that. for Palestine. Except right. for Palestine. <laughs> Except for Palestine. Then they go on and they say, that is why you will see author events featuring prominent Israeli and Jewish authors, Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ plus resources, among others, on our website. And yes, books written by Palestinian and Palestinian American writers. Okay, let's deconstruct this sentence because this is so showing the anti-Palestinian racism that whoever wrote this is engaged in. The censorship at issue is Palestinian content. Why, when you are justifying all the different content and explaining, oh, you can find this and this and this at our library, do you start with Israeli authors? And then you put Palestinians all the way at the end after Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ. The issue is you're censoring Palestinians. And you say Palestinian American, right? It's a Palestinian to, and Palestinian American. Right. No, but like to further water it down that like they're not actually Palestinian. They're really American. They're like happy with refugee status, but Israelis top of the list. Right. And they're not Israeli Americans and they're not Israeli Americans. Meanwhile, exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, Israelis come from fucking anywhere, bruh. It's like, oh, you're from Romania? Tight, tight. You got here three weeks ago from Bulgaria? Tight, tight. Tell me about it. I This is nitpicky, but you know, from law school, we pay attention to every Everything. word chosen. But why prominent Israeli and Jewish authors? And then us, it's like a, and yes, yes. those little Palestinians, we're going to talk about them too. Yeah. Why? Why are we described like that? Why are we not and prominent, ex exceptional, yes. beautiful Palestinian yes. people? Let me get an unknown Israeli. Okay, <laughs> let me get... Let me get someone almost nobody's ever heard. Just get some guy off the street. No, Rifik, this is a really good point because the wording of this sentence literally says, this is why you will see author events featuring prominent Israeli and Jewish authors, Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ plus resources, among others. And yes, comma, books written by Palestinian and Palestinian American writers. The yes suggests very strongly, without expressly saying so, but it's very suggestive implicitly of the fact that it is dirty to be Palestinian. Yes. And that, no, 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 we're going to do it, but it's dirty. But by the way, we're also censoring it. And that's why we came out with this statement to begin with. Come on. They go on to say this may make some people uncomfortable, but it is what makes us the free library. Okay, guys, a few more sentences. I think they just I think they just mean like their membership is free. You know, <laughs> like you don't gotta pay to be a member. I don't know, I could be wrong. It's uh, definitely not like the diversity of thought happening. This is this is just the next part. It's just beautiful. We reject anti-Semitism. How are you 
How do you reject the thing you're doing? <laughs> They're doing it, but they reject it. We also, <laughs> the next sentence says. Hey, I reject, I reject the Palestine. God. I reject it. We're doing it, but I, re I reject it. The next sentence says, we reject racism. So they go, we reject anti-Semitism, we reject racism. They don't say anything about rejecting anti-Palestinian racism, which they're engaged in throughout every letter, every word of this statement, which is the actual issue here at hand, the censorship of Palestinian content. They're not saying that. They're saying they reject anti-Semitism. Okay. They also say, and we reject any attempt to hinder our staff's ability to share with the public our deep and rich collections. That's literally what they did. That's what they did. They just keep saying they reject themselves. It's very bizarre. Rifik, I want to just go on to some of the things that you have mentioned in, in response to this. So you said, free library, do you endorse every single book in your libraries? Is every single book you provide consistent with your individual subjective values? You say, free library, the only people that need to be consulted about a book about Palestine are Palestinians, period. You also say that how can you be a safe space for books that uplift all voices when you literally silence mine? That's the, that's the issue at hand here. And you also noted that they need to include a rejection of anti-Palestinian bigotry in their statement, which of course they're not going to do because that was what they literally did for, you know, to begin with. So very, very, very bizarre statements. I think it was personally written by the Zionist Organization of America. I don't have any proof for that, but it reads exactly like a typical Zionist propaganda pamphlet, right? Conflation with supporting Palestinian rights and anti-Semitism, saying that Zionists are Jews and that Jews are Zionists, putting and glorifying Israelis, not as colonizers, but as prominent people and, 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 and making dirty the, you know, being Palestinian or, or, or talking about Palestine. It's Typical. like a Zionist bingo. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Right? All of these it things. Hit, it hit all of the things. I was like, dang, okay. Bingo. We got, we got a bingo. <laughs> yes. So they had the board of directors, I think had a meeting recently that they announced last minute. So some people were able to attend and they mentioned this issue. And from what I understand, the board president's response was that they stand against racism and anti-Semitism and anti-Palestinian bias and any form of bigotry. They still stand by removing those two story times that was featured on their social media that they insist does not belong on institutional platforms. And they're going to stand by that decision. The books they carry are important. They offer materials by authors from many cultural backgrounds, but the free library and employees do not adopt any one cultural perspective on any of their platforms. So I'm just curious if they had removed other content that was made by librarians that highlighted other cultures. If this is in fact, if we were going to take them at their word and ignore right. all the ridiculous statements. Right. Because that would mean that they are refusing to share any content where any person shares their perspective because that perspective might not be a perspective that they agree with. So anybody who has anything to say, basically they shouldn't even have an Instagram to begin with. They shouldn't have social media to begin with because what they're saying is they can never share any content by somebody with a perspective at all. They made themselves sound like Yale. You know what I mean? They're like never on an institutional website. It's like, bro, you're a library. Calm down. I think it goes back to the visibility issue. I mean, I'll tell you guys, I had an experience when the book first came out. So it's not just the Zionist groups that don't like our content. It is also progressive groups, quote unquote, that claim to support diverse voices. I had a group reach out to me called We Need Diverse Books, and they wanted me to create a blog post for their website. And they said that they feature it on social media and whatnot. So I said, okay, that'd be amazing. And this is, you know, when the book first came out. So I was really surprised that 
a non-Palestinian, non-Arab, non-Muslim, you know, uh, group reached out for me to write for them. So the person who reached out was very nice and was going with everything I was suggesting and gave me free reign to talk about whatever I want. I mean, it's a guest blog post. And we even agreed that it would be released on May 15th, you know, the anniversary of the Nakba. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I catered my post around the Nakba. It was centered around that event. So it's very important that it is released on that day. Okay. <laughs> so fast forward, the day comes and my post gets put on the blog, on the website, but complete silence on any social media channel. And I thought, hmm, I, I went back and read my initial, the initial email I received and it said that it would be highlighted on social media. So I thought, oh, okay, maybe it's a weekend. So maybe they don't update on the weekend, you know, give the benefit of the doubt. And I asked some family members and I was like, do you guys think that this is weird? And they said, no, they put your blog post up. Why are you upset? But something didn't feel right. So fast forward a few days and still nothing on social media and they had continued to post new things on social media. I contacted them and I said, hey, what's going on with my blog post? It was put nowhere. It's basically ghosted. What's the point of you putting it on the website if you're not going to talk about it? Who all goes to your website? Like we all know that people look at social media. So I got a typical response that, oh, it must have been an oversight. I'm sure that that wasn't intended. And then I got the response that the social media team has discretion over what they post. And I said, mm, no, that doesn't sound right. And I went back and I, I looked months back at every blog post that was listed and every social media post on Instagram. And every blog post was talked about on their Instagram. It was put on their Instagram page and on their link tree and on every other social media website they have. So yes, it was just mine. Like they did not even include it on the link tree where you can click and find it and <laughs> click on the link. And after I pushed, she was able to get it on the link tree and they put it on Facebook and Twitter. But this was days later, like five days after it was already posted. So it was no longer the Nekba anniversary. And they still never put it on Instagram. I think they put one picture on their stories and that was about it. And I feel like this isn't really important to share. I didn't share it before because I feel like what they make us feel is they make us second guess ourselves and think twice and oh maybe it wasn't intended you you can't really prove it but you know that that's what's happening and so I think it's important for Palestine activists to be aware of that and to always stand up when they have that gut feeling that something's not right and I really believe it was ghosted because of the content and they have posted other Palestinian authors after that, but my content was not sanitized or just focusing on culture. And although those things are important where we just focus on our culture and it's, and I'm very happy that those authors were highlighted because they deserve it. But the other content that's not palatable for everyone, that should also be spotlighted as well. It should just be treated equally. Otherwise don't reach out to the person to waste their time to write something for you and provide content for you. So it happens from all sides in different ways. And we just need to really be conscious of it and aware of it and not accept something fishy when we feel that it that it's off. Yeah, I think that's a good segue into the other story that's similar to yours in Pennsylvania. There's a CNN article published called Students Fight Back Against a Book Ban That Has Pennsylvania Community Divided. And this is obviously on top of the new Texas law aimed at restricting discussions of race and history in schools that had some educators second guessing themselves and foregoing civics related activities to avoid running into trouble. 
but specifically in York, discussions about race erupted in the wake of last summer's protests and students started having more conversations about racism and creating more inclusive environments. School officials say that it's not, quote, a ban specifically, and that the materials are, quote, frozen while the board vets the material. But that vetting process has taken nearly a year. At the virtual board meeting on Monday, district leaders said the materials are still prohibited. School librarians have pulled books from the shelves and teachers say their lesson plans have been impacted. This is a quote from a teacher. I have to now, with this resource ban, think twice about whether or not I should or could use a James Baldwin quote as an opening for my class, said Ben Hodge, a teacher at Central York High I don't think that a board that lacks diversity is the appropriate authority to determine what qualifies as appropriate material to address race in this community, said Brandy Miller, a parent of a student in the school district. Another mother said the community is 100 percent against critical race theory indoctrination agenda during Monday's meeting. Quote, schools are not the place for politics or identity to be shaped. She said, and it's like, what are schools for? <laughs> I, don't know. I read that they said that these books promote a hate for whiteness, which is so ridiculous that they would be so self-centered and arrogant to think that any book that's not about them is still about them in some way. You know, like some of the books that were banned, they literally talk about respecting other cultures, different aspects of different cultures. And, you know, our experience as minorities and these things are real and they exist. And for a white student to be reading it and to feel attacked is a problem. On the contrary, the white student is probably smarter than their parents and will probably read it and say, hey, this is really amazing. I didn't know that about this person's culture. And then when he sees that culture getting attacked, he will think in his head, oh, I can speak out against that because that's not right. It's just a completely ridiculous fear that people have because they can't control the narrative anymore. If you read about somebody from their own perspective, then suddenly that person is humanized and suddenly we can't discriminate against them anymore because we see that They're human, just like us. Also, it's so silly to think that you would need a children's book for people to hate white people. You know what I mean? Like, that's literally every other book. That's that's history is what that is. And so the question is, if they don't think identity is is should be discussed in the school, what books are you asking students to read? And is that fair to all the non-white students? Do we all start hating ourselves when we read Huckleberry Finn? The flip side is, if it's inappropriate because it's about other cultures, then the only thing that's appropriate is something that glorifies whiteness. And I mean, I think in the same way that any material on Palestinianness is a threat to Zionists, any material about other cultures, whether they be especially in, in the you know in the United States about black communities or native people, for example, is going to be a threat to whiteness because we risk uncovering the major crimes that were committed by white people when we talk about those other people's experiences. Yes. It's the same thing, you know, it's the same reason why the Zionist Organization of America is so, you know, shaking in their boots because of a children's book called Baba, What Does My Name Mean? Because if the world dare finds out that there are these people, they're called Palestinians, they were from a place called Palestine, and Israel's on top of it, what happened? Oh my God, all of a sudden, you know, it's it's no longer true that the land was empty. You know, all of a sudden, we're dealing with settler colonialism, and we have to face what that actually means, and what are the consequences? And I think it's the same thing. I think that's why the U.S., Oftentimes we see these discussions happening at the state level. There's this discomfort with with people that don't look white, that you know have speak you know speak different languages, that come from different places, that have you know different experiences. Because chances are, white people oppress those people. I was just curious, like in Germany, do they not talk about the Holocaust? 
does it make Germany? So there are parts of Germany where they do not talk about the Holocaust at all, basically. And they are pretty much like, we should fire that bad boy up again. There are some like fraternities that have just recently been reorganized because they were doing a little too much Nazi stuff openly. And also police organizations that have had to have their ranks trimmed because there were open neo-Nazis. There are some parts of Germany, though, that they do educate people about what happened, but it's in a similar way to how the United States sort of covers over slavery and the native people and, you know, genocide in general. They talk more about the economic angle, you know, where Germany was starved for uh, resources and and then the Jews, you know, it's like that's. Yeah, I mean, I looked this up like as we're talking and I'm finding some materials here, um, an article from The Atlantic that said that high school students are required to take classes on 20th century German history, including the Nazi era and the Holocaust, though visiting the site of a concentration camp isn't compulsory. It's optional for the students. But again, you know, the question is, how are they teaching it? What are they teaching exactly? Yeah. Yeah, I know some people in Germany that are relaying that information to me that it's not taught explicitly. And if you really want to learn about it, you have to learn it yourself. Yeah. Wow. But I think that's like a lot of us go through this process of unlearning after high school, right? Where we realize everything we learned in AP US history, that's basically a lie. And then we have to figure out what really happened, right? Some of us go through it, others don't. There's a similar type of process of getting rid of all this propaganda that was put in our minds throughout middle school and high school. I'm wondering if showing that parallel would help the school board to see exactly what they're doing because you know here we we have to learn about the holocaust from a young age and it's very important it's a very important part of the curriculum in u.s schools and so i'm sure they would not be happy knowing that in germany they're not teaching that same history so it's the same parallel here why shouldn't we teach the kids about the history of the u.s and you know the the real history of slavery why should we shield them from that just because you fear a few kids will hate themselves? Going back to like my educational experience in public school, growing up in Chicago, I remember reading about things like Manifest Destiny, you know, but it was never presented as this absurd genocidal ideology, right? It was just, it is what it is. It's Manifest Destiny. You know, it's the belief that, you know, from sea to shining sea. And it's like, Okay, but let's talk about about what that actually means, right? Because there was millions of people that were there and then we had to get rid of them in order to replace them. And so that's, isn't that the problem? That's the problem. That's what we should be talking about. It was never presented in that light. It was just presented as a fact. And that's the part that I think is like massively problematic is that we deal with these issues that are at their core, moral issues about humanity And we don't treat them as such. We treat them as just sort of benign historical events that this is just how it happened. And there was manifest destiny. And then, you know, we went out West and then, you know, but, but okay, what's the context? What, what what does this really mean? Mm -hmm. And what was the consequence for the millions of people that were massacred because of it? And we, as Palestinians, I feel also, like you said about the unlearning, we have a lot of decolonization of the mind to do because when I was studying that stuff in school, I never, I I connected it, but it didn't strike me as much as it should have. Like you said, it was just like, oh yeah, manifest destiny. We came and we settled and we made America great. And you don't think about it and you don't make those parallels as a kid. And so I think it's up to the parents to Oh, I I definitely did. And I was, I mean, I would always get in trouble because I was always speaking out about it from a very young age. But I knew, but that language, that discourse, that conversation, which should have taken place was never welcome. Oh yeah. Whether I, you know, it was in Mr. Unger's eighth grade, you know, history class. I still remember, still remember. I asked him, I raised my hand and I said, isn't it true that what happened to the Native Americans is the same thing that happened to the Palestinians in Palestine? And he said, see me after class. He asked me, why did you ask me that question? Where does this come from? Where is this coming from? Who who told you this? And I said, well, I'm Palestinian. He said, oh, 
Same thing in high school. These conversations were never welcome. We were supposed to study the events as just events and not to have deep moral questions about these events and what the consequences were. Yeah, I actually got into a huge argument with one of my university professors because he had a class assignment where he wanted half the class to argue sanctions on Iraq and the other half to argue the military intervention. And so it was like either economic sanctions or military intervention. And there was no don't bomb innocent people option. And so and don't I, starve millions of people with sanctions. Yeah, a hundred percent. None of those, none of those people were provided were, yeah. as options. Yeah. And so he just split people up. And I remember protesting and making fun of him and just being like, these children who are all on meal plans paid for by their parents have no business talking about whether we should starve children in Iraq. And I wasn't popular in that class. I don't know why. You know what I mean? It feels like I should have been. A long email chain where he ended up apologizing for putting me in a position where he wanted me to advocate the murder of people I'd never met. Nice. It was like a fake apology, though. You showed it to me. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't a great apology, but it was, <laughs> you know, it was a concession from an institution. Yeah, which you were not necessarily guaranteed to get. We find as students that we end up having to be the educators of our educators. So I like, I just know every report that I've ever written in my life that we got to choose the topic. It was always about something that my teacher had said that wasn't right. And I said, okay, I'm going to write about this so that she can read it. She or he can read it and be educated. And, you know, you get a lot of crap for that. I had a professor in law school who said that after 9-11, there was no anti-Muslim bias or like no Islamophobia. And I raised my hand. I was like, are you serious? I thought she was. In what country? Exactly. And so. I mean, literally thousands of people disappeared in America, like overnight and were taken and tortured and questioned. And they were kidnapped like by the government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think she was trying to say it wasn't like a governmental policy, let's say. And so. No, but it was a governmental policy. Exactly. The Patriot Act. Yeah, and this is a law professor. So she she insisted on it. And the only reason she backed down is when a white student, a white male student, agreed with me. And then she's like, okay, maybe there's room for nuance on this topic. And when I wrote a report for that class, I wrote it on, it's, it was called Terrorism in Uniform, the Case of the Israeli Army. And I honestly just did it to piss her off. And do you know how they give you comments in the beginning when you write your outline and whatnot? So she proceeded to tell me, you can write this report as long as you mention the fact that Israel operates against terrorism and that it's fighting against against terror. And I was like, "Uh, are you telling me the context in which I'm going to write my report? Can you wait till I write it and then decide? If you have all the facts, she gave me a B minus on that paper, but it was a damn good paper. You can write the report as long as you say that Israel is the most moral army in the world. Exactly. You can publish a blog post as long as it's been screened by our censors that we now only speak with Zionist organizations for. And that's a good full circle because that's a thing that Palestinian students face throughout their entire educational career. We are always put on the defensive or in the position of the teacher. And it's just, it's a really heavy burden for young kids, especially if they're not aware of all the nuances and what to say. So I hope that our books now that are coming out will help with that. Two things, Rafik. Let's first talk about how people can help with the censorship that uh, the Free Library of Philadelphia is carrying out. What are some action points? What can people do this week to support your book, support the other Palestinian content that was censored? And then why don't you tell us about some of your upcoming projects and what's next for you? 
contact the library, let them know how you feel. A lot of people have messaged them on Instagram. I think just whatever you're inclined to do. So I don't like people to feel like they have to do something because then it becomes a stressful thing for them. So whatever you're inclined to do, if it's calling the library, messaging them, telling them that you're against their decision, and then also showing your support for the librarians and your support for showing all kinds of content. I think that's the most important thing is just to speak up in whatever way that you can. I heard you were working on some other projects and especially since Baba, what does my name mean ends with a to be continued. I would assume that there's something coming after (laughs) that that's connected to it. So why don't, you tell us about that if it's not a secret. If it is a secret, we'd also like to know. No, about no, it. I, mean, I gave it away in the book. But yes, there is a sequel. I won't say that it's a direct sequel. We can pretend that it's the story of her father and how he became a refugee. It's written very differently from Baba, What Does My Name Mean? It's a different approach for me. So I'm I'm really excited about it. Right now, I'm doing like the final touches and editing And so it just needs to be illustrated and produced eventually, I hope. I hope by the end of the year or early next year. Are you looking for publishers this time or are you going to do it yourself again? So I I enjoy the self-publishing route. I have more control over that. And, you know, I don't like to be sanitized in my language This book is different, so I don't think there's anything to sanitize, but I am planning on including an author's note at the end where I talk exactly about the Nekba, and I I just don't want anything to be edited by somebody else. Mm. So I think I'm going to stick with self-publishing. And then with self-publishing world, you also have more control over the illustrations. You get to connect more with the illustrator and see your vision come to life. I, for one, cannot wait to have you back on when the Zionists censor that book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know. Just a little, I'm sorry. It was a little joke. <laughs> I know. I've, I've just come to a point in my life where they're not my audience. You know, I'm, yes. I'm not concerned about them. They've used the same talking points for the last however many years. They're just mm-hmm. now changing it. They're trying to steal, now, as yeah. usual the (laughs) steal more stuff now they're indigenous now they're the indigenous ones yes yes and so really i think it it would behoove us not to not to center them anymore and just to focus on our narrative focus on reaching out to each other reaching out to like-minded folks who we can build alliances with because you know there's strength in numbers and the zionists are never going to change their whole existence requires our non-existence so there's no talking with them because Mm -hmm. that's the whole premise of their ideology we never have zionists on this program some people are like oh i've seen all of your podcasts you never debate and it's like yeah we don't debate you right you don't debate between a bomb dropping and the people it's dropping on Mm -hmm. makes no sense and they have enough platforms where they get to voice their perspective we don't and so why should we waste our platforms with their garbage yeah we're definitely not trying to debate and i think one of the things that we do try to do is demystify is is to not make especially young people afraid of these zionist talking points to show them that they're just flimsy lies on on a on an old pamphlet and that you know we are real we are real people we have a real history we come from a real place called palestine you know and 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 we need to be strong and confident in our own identities and our own history and to not cower down once we're faced with these Zionist talking points, because we're going to be, whether it's in you know, the workplace or at school or whatever it is, when we're organizing, we're always going to be faced with it. I remember I was protesting in Chicago. I was leading a protest at the time. I think it was 2006 when Israel invaded Lebanon and Gaza. 
And a reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, Neil Steinberg, still remember him. I don't know if he works there anymore, but he came over to me. He said, yeah, can I get a statement for the Chicago Sun-Times? And I said, sure. What's, what's the question? And he said, how do you respond to the fact that Hamas are terrorists? That was a question. How do you respond to the fact that Hamas are terrorists? And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about are the bombs dropping on Gaza right now. That's what's at issue is the hundreds of people that were murdered in Gaza. At the beginning of the siege on Gaza, that's what we're talking about. And so it's really important to just reorient. You know, they try to, they try to control the narrative. We have to control our own narrative and refocus because the reason why they're so obsessed with pushing their narrative forward is that if our narrative comes out, theirs is immediately destroyed. It's totally obliterated. It doesn't exist anymore. It, it's, it disappears into thin air because our narrative is the truth. That's why they're so afraid of it coming out. And so it's just a reminder to people, don't debate Zionists, but learn what they say and, and also know how to respond if you need to, but, but, but don't engage in debates with them because it's not, it's not worth your while. To follow Rifik and all of her projects and to find out more about what she's up to, make sure to follow at Baba, what does my name mean on Instagram? And there you also have a link available in your bio where you can order the book, get it for your kids, get it for your nieces and nephews, get it for, you know, the neighbor's kids, buy a bunch of copies and distribute it because it's an incredible book. And it's really going to be an essential piece of Palestinian history and passing on the message of Palestine to the generations of children that are born in exile outside of their homeland. So definitely pick up a copy for yourself and I'm excited to see what you have coming up next. Thank you so much, you guys. And inshallah, we stay in touch and uh, best of luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the Palestine pod. We so appreciate your stories and your perspectives. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Palestine pod. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at the Palestine pod. All of our sources get updated at www.palestinepod.com. And if you want to send us a nice email or gibberish, go ahead and reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com calm y'all that's been another episode of the palestine pod thank you all so much have a great day and if you would like to support the palestine pod feel free to join our patreon where we will be releasing every week exclusive content funny i take starting over that'll be on there no <laughs> no i won't <laughs>